Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Okay, folks, before we read Psalm 18, and it's a long Psalm 18, it's one of the longest, let me ask you a question. Do you ever stop what you're doing sometime during the day and just say, I love you, Lord? It's a good way to start the day, good way to end the day, good to do during the middle. We get real busy, um, but one of the things I really appreciate about the Psalm we're going to read is that's how David starts it. I will love you, Lord. I just love you, Lord. And... Now, if you begin with the word my, I love you, Lord, you are my, and then put things after that about your love for the Lord, could you come up with 10 in a row? Um, Let's just see if we can do it together. I love you, Lord, you're my God. What else? You're my Savior. Savior. Okay, provider, good. Shepherd, you're my shepherd. Excellent. Sustainer. Sustainer. We're at five. We're halfway there. Leader. Leader. You're my leader. Excellent. Did we say rock already? Okay. Rock, foundation. Okay. What else? Cornerstone. My cornerstone. Excellent. Got to get to ten. We got eight. Everything. My everything. Well, that covers it all, doesn't it? Deliverer. We could say my deliverer. All that. We made it. Okay, great. Well, that's another thing I love about how this psalm starts. So it's a long psalm with lots of good things in it. But the first three verses, he says, I love you, Lord. And then he goes into one thing after another like that. So Psalm 18 is David's personal hymn of praise for God's deliverance. So if you're filling in the blanks, your first one is deliverance. And now I'm going to take the time. Now, the scripture does say that we are to give attention to the public reading of the word. And so that's why I could just pull out some highlights and points and stuff like that. But the best thing that's going to happen is the word get read, you know, and so I'm going to read the whole psalm and then we'll make comments as we go through. I won't give as much particular comment as we sometimes do or we'd be here for several hours, but I will take the time to read it because it's God's word. Psalm 18, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. You've probably sang that chorus before. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Here it comes. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Okay, verse four. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon Yahweh and cried out to my Elohim. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. 
Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because God was angry. He was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub like it was a surfboard and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. This is just picturesque, isn't it? From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but Yahweh was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but you will bring down haughty or proud looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is a God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with the strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies. So that I just, <laughs> I just can't help but think of the Virginia flag there, you know, the six Emperor Tyrannus, right? The King, King George on the ground and we've got our foot on his neck, you know, subdued. <laughs> You've given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations, and people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. That's a good little course also, isn't it? 
It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, mercy to his Messiah, to David and his descendants forevermore. Psalm 18. That is a long one, isn't it? In fact, it's the fourth longest. There's your fill in the blank. It's the fourth longest of all the Psalms. There are only three Psalms that are longer than Psalm 18. Psalm 89, that's got 52 verses. Psalm 78, that's got 72 verses. And Psalm 119, that has 176 verses. By the way, do you know why Psalm 19 has 176 verses? It's got 22 rounds of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so the first eight verses all start with Aleph in the Hebrew. Just like some friends were sitting around and saying, let's talk about how great God is. God is alive. God is active, right? And eight verses later, they say, now let's do Beth or B for us, right? And 22 verses later times eight is 176. That's, uh, so it's, an, uh, it's one of those um, ones that uh, gives you uh, the next letter in sequence, which is pretty cool. Now, most of the Psalms are actually pretty short. The median length of the Psalms is 10 verses. Now, because that one has 176, that might mess up the average, you know. But I like to calculate things by the median. Uh, and if you don't know how to calculate that number, the median of something is how many are less than that and how many are more than that. And in this case, right in the middle of how long Psalms is, when you put them all together, would be uh, 10 verses, which is interesting. There are 58 Psalms that are between 2 and 10 verses. Another 59 are between 11 and 20. 20 Psalms are between 21 and 30. And only 13 are more than 30, which is interesting. By the way, you would have to add up the shortest 30 to get to the number of verses in Psalm 119. And you'd have to add up the shortest 12 to equal Psalm 18 that we're in now. So, uh, And I, I just couldn't help it. You know, I'm kind of a nerd with stuff like this. So I looked up the last five before Psalm 18, and the last five before this one together had 52 verses. So about the same number as what we're looked at, looking at today. Anyway, we already said that Psalm 18 is David's personal hymn of praise for God's deliverance. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 18 the grateful retrospect. And we do have reason to believe, in fact, clear information to believe that um, David wrote this uh, later in life, looking back after God had given him peace in the kingdom. And I say that because Psalm 18 is very similar to 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 51. And so perhaps the changes made in Psalm 18 were for musical purposes. We don't know, but they're, 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 they're very much of the same information and if you know about how 2 Samuel lays out, you know when you're in 2 Samuel 22, you've only got a couple chapters after that, and then in 1 Kings, David pretty quickly dies. Uh, so it is you know, toward the uh, end of his life, especially after the military days uh, were over. He's looking back over his military career, a lot of military language in this psalm. And so I imagine it could be a real favorite for those who have a military background or those who are serving now. Uh, because it taught, how about, hey, you have me at that part about leaping over the wall, right? You think about how in basic training they got to get up there and get up over that thing, you know, and by my God, I can do it. Um, 
So, pretty neat. Uh, so when David wrote those words in 2 Samuel, Saul was already dead, Absalom was dead, the Philistines were subdued, David's kingdom was relatively secure. Now let's look at the ancient title sentence before verse 1. Again, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. So David doesn't talk about being a king right here. He talks about being the servant of the Lord, and we should identify ourselves that way too. Paul calls himself a bondservant of the Lord. Moses was the great servant. Joshua was the servant. David was the servant. Uh, we, we, uh, we need to be careful about you know, our titles and things. When I came here, you know, I was Dr. Danny Campbell, and I have no problem with anybody just calling me Danny. But Elizabeth was like, you earned that thing. I want people to call you it for a while and stuff. So I was like, yes, ma'am, you know. Uh, you know, the, um, uh, but um, I, one thing I love about our Baptist history is we always kind of eschewed titles, you know. Does that mean hated, eschewed? <laughs> Trying to be smarter than I am. Um, but uh, so it was Mr. Charles Spurgeon. And we kind of resisted that high church language of even reverend because you know what reverend means? Revered one. Well, Baptist said, no, no, the only revered one is Christ, right? <laughs> I mean, man, don't revere me, revere Christ. Uh, and so as Mr. Charles Spurgeon, of course, you know, there's all kinds of titles you can use, pastor and, you know, reverend and all the different things. But the point is, he was the servant of the Lord. He spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, do you remember what we learned last time? Not everybody was here, but we learned last time that in Hebrew, the way Hebrew lays out is the consonants without any vowels. So I wonder if anybody has a translation where in the heading there it reads Sheol instead of Saul. Is there anybody in your notes there in the inscription? The reason I say that is because you will find one or two out there that have shale instead of saw, and the Hebrew is S-H-L. Now you say, well, wait, S-H-L, that still doesn't cover saw, but it does because in the Hebrew it's shawl, S-H-A-U-L, and shawl and shale. Again, uh, only later on did they go back and trying to bring it to today did they bring the vowels in. So, S-H-L, so it really could be translated either Shaw or Shael, uh, the holding place, the place of the dead, which is interesting. So let's look at the psalm now. Verses 1 through 3, David praises the Lord. And again, we talked about it. What a great way to start a psalm. I love you, Lord. And then because David is invoking his military campaigns and victories and how God's given him peace, um, at the da David the poet, he could say, Lord, you are my... Uh, you're my you're my uh, poetry. You're my you're my psalm. He could, as a singer, say, "You're my song." You know, um, and but instead, he specifically goes into some very descriptive statements that all relate back to kind of military thinking. He says, "You are my strength," and that particular word uh, is the only time it's used in all the Hebrew Old Testament. There is my strength. So Hezek, you might have it translated as something else, like stronghold. My rock. A couple different times he brings in the word rock or, or a version of strength. And this first time he's thinking of the word selah, uh, not, not, not the stop thing, but S-C-L-A without the H on the end. And he's thinking of the security you get that an animal would get getting up in the crags of the rocks, you know. And 
I don't know if you've ever tried to get a varmint that's tucked in behind a rock thing or something. It's hard, it's hard to get down there in them. And David said, you're my security like that. And we think about all the times he was on the run from an enemy of this kind or that kind, and God gave him a place to find refuge. You're my fortress. Interestingly, the word for fortress is Masuda, and it makes you think of during the days uh, between the end of the Old Testament and the um, uh, and. Uh, and, and Jesus coming, the fortress they had up at Masada that's been excavated um, and how it was very hard for Roman forces to defeat them there because it was up so high and uh, it took a lot of Roman resources. Probably no other empire at that time in the world could have defeated them up there, but uh, it was a very str- strong place, a stronghold that they couldn't get to. David says, you're that for me, God. You're my deliverer, my God. My strength in whom I trust, and this time the word strength or rock there is more about him being our foundation, a strong foundation to build on, like Jesus talked about in Matthew 7 when he said, you know, don't build on sinking sand, but instead build on the rock. My, my, me and my words can be for you a rock to build on a strong foundation. My shield, my shield like shield and buckler, the horn of my salvation. There's a lot of references in the psalm to horns. We think of a rhinoceros with his horn. There's power there. Uh, we think about, um, uh, you know, uh, elephants that have the tusks and things like that. Animals with horns, uh, with bulls and goring, right? Um, the horn of my salvation. And so uh, some people relate the word horn to the word helmet. You know, it's up there on the things of the helmet of our salvation. Like Ephesians 6 later talks about invoking military image for the armor of the Lord to be ready for Satan's, the battle with Satan. Uh, And then again, my stronghold, this time it's more like a refuge or retreat. And all those images have to do with David as warrior, as military leader. And uh, verse 3, as we said, was very familiar. I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. So David had experienced that throughout a lifetime of conflicts uh, with Goliath. Um, with the Philistines, with Saul, uh, with later Absalom, all the battles that he fought uh, all along his life. And he's looking back now as an older man and thankful, and he's like, well, if there's any battles yet to come, God will see me through those too. And it's good for us to rehearse. Hitherto the Lord has helped me, right? Uh, You know that the word Ebenezer is, I will raise up an Ebenezer. I, I will recount all the ways that he saw me through, you know. Um, and that's really cool to do. And, uh, yeah, I just think this might be a good place to pause a little bit and, uh, just, you know, to just think about your own history for a minute and how God saw you through, you know, uh, how he was with you in your home of origin, whether it was a great place and you grew so much or a place that he got you through and then he brought you to salvation for some as a child, for some as a young adult. Uh, he got you through some of your own foolish, foolhardy mistakes and things. David made some of those along the way. Uh, he had a purpose and plan for your life and it took you a while to figure it out. God knew the whole time. You were the one that had to figure it out. Um, and then uh, for some that involved uh, you know, getting a little bit more training, um, going off to college or a Christian college or things you learn at church under a pastor, under a Sunday school teacher, and you got 
things down in the faith. And then you found an area of service in the church or some way to minister for the Lord. And everybody I'm looking at here is ministering to the Lord for some way. Some are still figuring out what the next step is. And God had His way of graciously closing one chapter of life and opening up another. It involved you having um, a spouse and then uh, uh, you know a ch- uh, children and all those formative years education. Some of the guys are right in the middle of it now, you know, raising those children up. For some now it involves what you're pouring into grandchildren, others around you. And David's able to look back and, you know, obviously as a warrior king within Israel, he had actual enemies, you know. And we have to sometimes spiritualize this a little bit, you know, as we try to extend it to ourselves. We are told that no man is our enemy. We're trying to win them to Christ. But along the way, uh, we've had things to overcome, you know, and God has seen us through. David says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to pray, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And then he goes into this extended, picturesque talk about God as his deliverer, his great deliverer. Verses 4 through 19. And there's so much there, we can't uh, get to it all. But I mean, he just uh, says some wonderful things in here. And he pictures God... uh, in what we, uh, well, let's get verses four through six first because David remembers the times God delivered him from death. That's the, what the reference to Sheol is about. Do you remember what prophet referred to verses four through six during his own brush with death? One of the prophetic books actually has uh, uh, a man quoting kind of these words as he goes through his own uh, problem. Let me give you a hint. Jonah. It's Jonah. <laughs> I was going to say he was drowning, you know, at the time, and God saved him and stuff. Very good. Uh, We love participation. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, in verse 6, he says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to God, and he heard me from his temple. And I I think David's referencing, of course, the heavenly temple there. There is a time or two, the tabernacle, which was still portable, was called the temple. We know the temple didn't get built till after David's life. Some have suggested that maybe this was later writers putting that in uh, on David's behalf, but I think, you know, I take it at face value that David wrote it and that uh, he's referring to God's heavenly temple that he heard from. And, uh, of course, his desire was to build God an earthly temple. Uh, But don't get caught up too much in saying, oh, it's this temple there instead of tabernacle, and that's before it was built. Uh, David knew uh, there was a heavenly temple. Um, so how did God respond when his man David was in trouble and uh, in danger of death and the cords of death surrounding him, almost like he's being tied up by his enemies and those things? Uh, verses 7 through 15 let us know. It's what we call a theophany. A theophany. What's a theophany, Danny? Well, it's a visible manifestation of God or deity in a form we can sense. And so the working of God is compared to natural phenomena. Uh, you know, so... It's meant to paint a picture for us. We're not to get too caught up in the details. It's meant to say God is even more powerful than these things. Uh, But if you've ever been uh, out on a rainy night or whatever, and all of a sudden the uh, uh, thunder has just, you know, lightning comes first, right? You've seen this big crack of lightning and then the thunder and, you know, your heart about drops out of your chest or whatever and things like that. It makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Anybody here ever been struck by lightning? That would make you think too, wouldn't it? <laughs> Some people get struck by life. But, but that's, you know, um, he's, he's, he's comparing the power of God 
to these uh, these natural things that are so powerful, which is really, really cool. And so he speaks of God shaking the earth like an earthquake because he was angry. Now remember the context here, verses 4 through 6. David's saying, man, I was just about to die at the hands of my enemies. They had me, uh, you know, they, they were surrounding me. They had me. And, um, you know, this is one of those great movie scenes here, you know. Uh, the bad guys had me. I was in a tight spot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, God showed up. That's what David's saying. Man, it didn't look like earthly there was any hope. But then God showed up. And some of you have experienced that. You're like, how are we going to pay this bill? And God showed up, you know. Um, and, and there's just tests of faith like that, you know. Um, I heard one from one of our members recently, and it's worth sharing. One of our members uh, was waiting for a contract to come in and uh, it was around Christmas time, and you know he uh, wanted to go ahead and give uh, Christmas bonuses out. But um, if this contract didn't come due, uh, he's going to be in a tight spot himself. And uh, he just said, "Well, you know what? I'd already determined this was the right thing to do, and, and to give the bonuses out." So he gave the bonuses out, trusting God to provide. Uh, you know, the extension of a contract or the uh, better contract so that he and the company could keep going into the new year. And uh, man, it happened big time for him, you know, which was really neat, you know. But uh, he, as a man of integrity, gave the bonuses out, not knowing that for sure it was coming in. And that takes faith. That's tough to do sometimes. I'm not saying that's always the right move, but that he knew that's what God wanted him to do. So he did it and uh, was rewarded. So um, in this case, David's thinking back about all the times, man, man, Saul's got me. Man, I'm here. Uh, I'm going to have to be an actor. I'm going to have to play uh, like I'm crazy for this king not to just kill me here because I'm a Hebrew Hebrew guy instead of, uh, you know, a Philistine. And God always brought him through. But So God shook the earth like an earthquake because he was angry. He snorted his nostrils like an angry horse. That's probably a reference to the wind blowing real hard. Uh, the heavens opened. God came riding down on a cherub. That's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? You know, giddy up, angel cherub. He flew on the wings of the wind. Um, God showing up was like a flood of waters. Boy, that happens suddenly when it happens, especially in Israel where a wadi that can be almost dry all of a sudden when the rains come can fill up and all of a sudden a flood of waters come through. It's a seasonal phenomenon in Israel that uh, shepherds had experienced. That's why Shepherds had to carefully lead their sheep because uh, they lead them to the wrong place and a wadi kicks in. They just drown the sheep and stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> it's almost like David saying, my enemies didn't know what hit them, but it was God looking after his people, looking after me as his king. So that's what he's intended there. God's deliverance came powerfully and suddenly like hailstorms, like a roaring forest fire, bolts of lightning. He sent his arrows and scattered the foe. I especially like verse 16. He sent from above, he drew me out of many waters. So you can picture God's rescuing David out of what is going to take care of the enemies. I'm getting you out, but I'm judging them with those flood waters. Verse 17, he delivered me from my strong enemy. They were too strong for me, but my God was too strong for them. Isn't that neat? Um, now, verses, verse 18 is meant to convey... They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Verse 19 starts by saying, he also brought me out into a broad place. Do you like that? It's almost like David's on the run from Saul. 
David's on the run from Absalom later. And it's almost like these enemies are leading him down a dark alley and they're surrounding him. And David's like, not only did God deliver me, he got me out of that narrow, tight place where they were surrounding me and put me out back into a broad place, a nice open field. Um, So all that's in there, which is pretty cool. Well, verses 19 through 30, David states the basis of that deliverance, God's delight. So we don't need to miss that verse 19 says, he delivered me because he delighted in me. He favored me. He showed me his delight. He rained his delight on me. And so most of the issues with the Psalms where you think the guy's kind of bragging a little bit about his own righteousness, um, most of that can be resolved by looking for a statement of someone being a recipient of God's choice or God's favor or God's grace before that. And here's one of those statements. Um, It was God's idea to choose David when he was in his father's home and anoint him, have Samuel anoint him as king, right? You delighted in me, Lord. You picked me for this assignment and you haven't let me down in the midst of this assignment, right? So, Um, This is not a full-blown talk on God's sovereign election or anything like that, but there's hints of that here before David then goes into in these particular conflicts with these others that he was in the right and they were in the wrong. God had graced David by choosing him out of Jesse's house when Samuel anointed David as king. So David had been a man after God's own heart and God was pleased with that as well. In verse 20, David states that the Lord rewarded him according to his righteousness, according to the cleanness of his hands. When you look through the other Psalms and the writings of uh, the Old Testament, this is not David saying he has earned salvation by his works. Uh, David knew he was a sinner. He knew about the mercy of God. But in these matters, he also knew that his cause was right because it was God's cause. So most of the time we're looking at this statement where a guy's saying, you defended me because I have been righteous, I'm blameless. David's not talking about blameless in every area of his life. He's talking about blameless as he's tried to lead the people as the king of Israel. And then here's somebody else, you know. Uh, He certainly was blameless in his behavior towards Saul. And Saul just kept wanting him dead because he was jealous of him. And David was more than blameless in his uh, desire to see his prodigal son Absalom restored. Uh, You know, and uh, but Absalom kept coming after him. And David's, uh, David's uh, man, Joab, who was a loose cannon, wound up killing uh, Absalom, which is not what David wanted. Um, in taking David on as God's king, the enemies, both foreign and domestic, were really taking on God, right? I mean, you take on the king of Israel, <laughs> you're taking on God. And David was thus righteously aligned, so there's the fill in the blank, the word aligned, with God, and his enemies were unrighteous. So that's what he's getting at there. In verse 21, he lets us know that he had kept the ways of the Lord and not wickedly departed from God. I said a little bit about this this morning, but it's really interesting when you get into the books of the kings. David has made the prototype king for all the kings that follow him. You've seen this as you've read a little bit in Kings and a little bit in Chronicles. You've seen that They'll mention a king and whether he was righteous or wicked, and they'll say he did right like his father David, in some cases his great-great-granddaddy David, you know, uh, or he did not do right like David, right? Uh, And so 
He had been a man after God's own heart who walked in God's ways, and he used his influence as king to bring righteousness to Israel. Yes, he blew it in the sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, but when confronted, he repented and had been forgiven, and that itself was a model for everyone who followed. I think I wrote the verse reference in your notes, but I want you to hear these cool verses. 1 Kings 15. I'm going to read them actually from the New American Standard 2020. King Abijam walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him. His dad was Rehoboam, so this would be David's great-grandson, I think is how that works out. Solomon's his son, Rehoboam's his grandson. Yeah, this is his great-grandson. Um, his heart was not holy, King Abijam's heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like the heart of his father, David. But for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Interesting. Back to Psalm 18, verse 25. Many of you have seen these verses. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. I really like how it says in James that, uh, you know, that we're called to show mercy. And he says that mercy will triumph over judgment. So, you know, make sure that you're not too judgmental of others. Let God take care of all that. Like Micah 6, 8 says, he's shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require? But to do justly, do the right thing yourself, but love mercy. Love mercy toward those who are messing up and you get to influence and walk humbly with your God. With a blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. And I couldn't help but think about this for myself, and this may be your main takeaway tonight or whenever you listen online, and that is, um, how do you want God to show himself to you? <laughs> you know, uh, man... I want to seek after God's own heart and draw, you know, James says, if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I want God to draw near to me. Well, he's told me if I draw near to him, he'll draw near to me, right? That's what I want to see. I, I, I don't want to shake my fist at heaven and have God say, listen, you want to get into a fist shaking contest, I'm going to win. I refer you back to verses four through 19, you know, um, Matthew 6, 33, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord who give you the desires of your heart. And again, this is not based on our perfection. We're not perfect. And that's why verse 27 is added here by the Holy Spirit. For you will save the humble people. David had humbled himself. He knew God was God and he was not. Why was he blameless? Because he was a man who sought God. Why were the others not blameless? They weren't seeking God. Um, you save the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. And it just gets better and better. Verse 28. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And so uh, we think about all the great analogies of the light, that he's the light of the world. We won't walk in darkness if we follow him in his ways. And do you have a wall that you need to get over? Verse 29, for by you I can run against a troop, by my God I can leap over a wall. And uh, I hope that's still true for 55-year-old Danny. Um, you know, I could, I could get over some obstacles when I was younger, um, but it's only going to be by God's help now. Um, and, and maybe, you know, we have to think that way. 
I can't, but God never said I could. Jesus can through me, and He promised that He would. So I've been very encouraged in the last couple years to see the research that says that the best decade of a person's life, with apologies to Don Lemon, the decade that they're in their prime, so to speak, uh, is when a person is in their 60s. And their second best decades when they're in their 70s. I thought, isn't, isn't that great? So we're in our prime for Jesus. You know, we've slowed down just enough, those of us who are older, that God can get a hold of us. And who knows that this isn't the best season of service right now for us and for all that he has for us. For Moses, it was after 80, right? He did, all, he did that great work of liberation after his 80. For Caleb at 80, he said, I'm ready to take my part of the land. And he did. He did. He did. Um. So for by you. So verse 29 may be the Philippians 4.13 of the Old Testament. Philippians 4.13, the great passage that any good high school athlete has a poster on their wall that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can't you see young Caleb Reynolds with his Philippians 4.13 poster trying to dunk that basketball and uh, not doing that, but doing a lot of great things for Jesus? Maybe you trampoline. Did you trampoline one? <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> by my God's help I can leap over a wall I can dunk a ball verses 31 to 45 David gives testimony of victories through God and we're not going to spend much time in those verses I just want you you might want to review them later on again because one of the cool things in those verses is that um, you get a little bit of the feel in these verses of Ephesians 6 about the armor of the Lord I mean, there's several military equipment issues here that are pretty cool. In verse 31, God is our rock. He's our foundation. In verse 32, God arms me to give me strength. So some of you have been in the military. Others, you got arms so you could go and go hunting or something, you know. He gives me feet to get to the high places of safety like a deer. We think of the gospel shoes that get us to where we need to go with the gospel. He says, I have a bow of bronze to shoot arrows at my enemies. I don't have a, a bow that will break on me made of wood. I got a bow of bronze. It's special. It's forged. And um, so I'm ready to take on what God's got for me to take on. Uh, I have a shield of salvation. Your right hand holds me up in these battles. But I especially like how he's still even here. I mean, David was a fierce warrior, right? Remember, he beat Goliath. But then um, Saul uh, said, I'll give you my daughter's hand, but you need to bring me evidence of the death of a hundred Philistines. <laughs> David brought 200 evidences of, well, you know the story. Um, 200 evidences of dead Philistines and things because they always picked on Israel and they had to fight out their ability to live in the land there. And David was a fierce warrior during those days. Tremendous. By the way, do you know how many giant killers there were in Saul's army? There wasn't any. There wasn't any because David wasn't in Saul's army uh, at that point. When he did it, he was just bringing his brothers a lunch, you know. Um, but there is a passage that records at least four giants being killed by David's men because it takes one to make one, right? 
So David was a man after God's own heart, and he encouraged others to be courageous and have a uh, be a man, men and women after God's own heart. But what I love about this is, uh, look what he says. What does he say in verse thirty-five? Is the key to him being great. It's the very last part here. It might read differently in different translations. Salvation. Yours says salvation. Okay. Here, well, that, you know, salvation makes it pretty great too. But in verse 35, the New King James has, your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. In verse 39, again, David says, you've armed me with strength for the battle. So the result was David had subdued his enemies and brought peace to God's people in Israel in his generation. So he talks about, what is the second Samuel reality. He talks about how now even uh, the enemies of old were bowed to him in submission to him. And the historical record was that David brought a peace in his generation to Israel. The Philistines said, as long as David's king, we're done fighting David. <laughs> you know, uh, we'll pay tribute so you don't do that. We'll give you some extra taxes so you don't mess with us, David. You know, uh, And others did the same thing. And he had alliances with the nations around him based on the fact that they knew you don't mess with David because you don't mess with David's God. And uh, David seems to have acted very uh, in, in, as, as, a, as a godly gentleman with the peoples that were around him. And then his son Solomon, of course, reached out and uh, gave the gospel, of, you know, as much as they understood it then, gave the gospel to the Queen of Sheba and others who came through. And he prayed the temple would be that kind of place that foreign nations would come and want to know what Yahweh's like and get, the, get it out there. Um, so uh, it's not surprising to read uh, David um, say at the end there in verse 49, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. The last section, verses 46 through 50, it's a benediction of praise and resolve. So how did David use this platform the Lord had given him with defeated foes? He tried to win them over to the Lord. I think about one of my favorite wrestling stories. Um, So um, our... uh, Middle son started wrestling as a middle schooler. He was disappointed because basketball didn't work out for him. He wanted to play with his friends in basketball. And uh, it, it appeared as if we had a promise that he'd be able to be on the team. He didn't care a lick about basketball. He just wanted to be with his friends. And then the coach said, well, no, we'll put you down on the team below that. And he's like, I just wanted to be with my friends. So there was disappointment there. And driving home, we saw that a local church near us had a wrestling program. He said, son, you want to give wrestling a try? He said, I think I'll give wrestling a try. Um, And he did. And uh, so this was a church program that got us wrestling before then we started a program at Grace Christian School. They just won their third small school state championship, had a state championship at about the weight that my son wrestled at. But what was cool is a story that Greg Mayo, the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church that had this, sorry, Cornerstone Church, Cornerstone Church had a Mennonite background. It was a new new version of the Mennonites. And they had this wrestling ministry. And he told this great story when he was a wrestler at Waynesboro High School. They wrestled down against a team in Lynchburg, Virginia. And the Lynchburg team destroyed him. I mean, to a man, just destroyed him, destroyed him. He's sitting in the locker room afterwards with his friends saying, my goodness, what just happened? Man, that school was so good. 
And he's sitting there talking, and in through the door comes a redheaded kid. Part of the victorious other school team, right? And he comes in, and at the time, Greg Mayo and his friend mocked the young man and uh, sent him on his way. But years later, after he got saved and fell in love with Jesus, it occurred to him what had happened that day and who had done it. He realized that back in the day, Jonathan Falwell, wrestling for the Liberty Christian Bulldogs, had whooped them on the mat and then come in to try to tell them about Jesus. Just like Pastor Lamar, when he was on one of those first Liberty College football teams, you know, was told, first we knock them down, and then after the game, we shake their hands and try to lead them to Jesus. And I just thought that was neat. So uh, David had used this platform the Lord had given him with his defeated foes. He tried to win them over to the Lord, as verse 49 says. I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles. I'll sing praises to your name. And um, we, we know that's kind of how it's leaning, because let's turn to Romans 15.9. All the way over in Romans 15.9. This verse is quoted as part of the Messiah's efforts to bring the nations to himself. That's a great story about Jonathan Falwell, isn't it? Pretty neat. No wonder he's a great pastor now. He, 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 uh, was his, he had his father's evangelistic heart. Romans 15, 9. Start with verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it's written... For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So David says the result of this, you being with me in the past, you being with me in the present, you being with Israel in the future is that one day the Gentiles may know. In verse 50, it's not a surprise that he says, verse 50, great deliverance, this is back in Psalm 18, great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, that's the word for Messiah there, to David and his descendants forevermore. That's going to include the Messiah. So pretty cool. Psalm 18, uh, a warrior king rehearsing how faithful God's been and how he'll lead going into the future. And we can take heart in that as well. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.